Welcome to Revolution and Ideology. This is Nick. I'm Jared. And in this episode, we are talking about George Simmel's essay, The Ruin. So if you're following along, we are in kind of this series on the apocalypse and specifically focusing on the apocalypse in cinema. And the last episode we did was talking about destruction and ruin in apocalyptic films and their significance and meaning. And one thing I mentioned just really quickly was this essay by Simmel about the ruin and some of his ideas there. And then we decided that we wanted to actually do a full episode on his essay and a deep dive into his thinking here, just because it was kind of interesting and gave us a little tangent to go on for just a few minutes. So check out that episode for the full discussion about ruin and apocalyptic cinema. But here we're just focusing on this essay by sociologist George Simmel. Just a little bit of background on him. He was a sociologist, philosopher, and critic. He lived 1858 to 1911 and was a really prominent, I mean, he was a member of the first generation, really, of German sociologists. Him and Max Weber uh, really are the two most prominent German sociologists of this generation, They were both founders, I think, of the German Society for Sociology, which still exists. I think they were the founding members and first like board members and et cetera. So really influential. He wrote this essay, I guess, I don't know when he wrote it, but it was published in 1911. And now that I just said his birthday, that's not true. He died in 1918. He lived 1858 to 1918. The essay was published in 1911. Um, I guess it was actually published in English in 1911. I think German was 1907 or something, but it's irrelevant. The beginning of the 20th century is all we need to know so we can get some historical context here. Um, The one thing that's important, just kind of a general overarching theme in Simmel's work is he's really focused on processes and interactions between things and what that means for individuals and society. So it helps to know that going in because I think it's going to become evident in some of the things that we mentioned. But, you know, as an example, his theories on society are that, you know, basically society is the interaction between individuals, that it's not a tangible thing on its own, et cetera, right? It is this process. It is these, this interaction, that kind of thing. So that just centers us a little bit. Anything to add before I go on? No. Let's get, let's get moving. So the first thing, he opens up by talking about architecture, versus other works of art. This essay is just as much about architecture and the aesthetic of architecture, which he actually writes extensively on, um, as it is about ruins. But I have here in my notes that I think that we have to take some of this with kind of a grain of salt because he's writing, like I said, in the early 20th century. And in my opinion, I'm no expert clearly, but architecture has changed dramatically in the past hundred years. So some of the things that I think that Simmel has to say here may not apply to, you know, like a modern monstrosity steel skyscraper as they would to like the average building in 19, early 1900 Germany, as an example, right? So just keep that in mind. I'm sure there's many people that would argue that his ideas apply just as much today to modern architecture as they did back then, but I would disagree with them, but that's fine. We don't need to go down that debate, but just grain of salt. He begins the essay with this quote. He says, quote, Architecture is the only art in which the great struggle between the will of the spirit and the necessity of nature issues into real peace. That in which the soul in its upward striving and nature in its gravity are held in balance. So now he's going to throughout use terms like spirit and soul. 
and nature. And he's really contrasting these two things together. So by spirit, he's using this term in the German tradition of like Geist, right? If you know anything about Hegel, you're familiar with the uses of this term in uh, German philosophy and sociology. Geist here and spirit here, meaning like the human spirit, right? And soul, he's going to use this uh, also. But the spirit and soul just means the human uh, aspect. And then nature, he's going to uh, contrast with this human soul throughout. So he says, architecture is the only art form where the spirit, the soul, and nature find this piece together. And he contrasts this with poetry, painting, music, and I think the best example he gives is sculpture. He says, quote, even in sculpture, the tangible piece of marble is not the work of art. What stone or bronze of themselves contribute to the work has its effect only as a means of expressing the spirit. So he's saying, you know, and I have my notes like, no one really looks at a sculpture and really admires the piece of marble as like aesthetically pleasing on its own. The art in the artwork is whatever the artist has dominated that piece of nature into, right? It represents something. But the piece, the natural material isn't really the artwork, right? It's not the aesthetic aspect of that art. I would but, absolutely beg to differ. I've seen blocks of marble that I just could not take my eyes off of. <laughs> no, keep going. I'm just, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But no, I it, Here's the thing. Like this idea is that, yes, I, I, this kind of almost transfer, at least when I was reading this, this transfer of like kind of that geist, that idea mm -hmm. from the artist into the work in the, in the case of sculpture, it's not just the fact that this person as we often associate with art, when we look at it, this person was talented. They're a master of painting or poetry, or in this case, sculpting, being able to manipula manipulate this material. I guess I was reading this as, this is the spirit of the artist in the work. That, that, that spirit of this individual, the artist is mm -hmm. in that work, not just in terms of talent, but a little piece of them. That's kind right. of how I was reading it. Well, and the sculpture expresses that spirit, right? The artwork the aesthetic aspect of the sculpture is the expressing of that spirit, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. that's super important. I actually don't think the sculpture is the best example. I wish he would have done painting or something because the, I think a better example is like thinking about the paint and the natural pigment like in a painting, right? No one is like, wow, the cochineal beetle that was used to create that shade of red in this painting. Like there's just so much beautiful nature there. Like absolutely no one does that, right? You analyze the color and the meaning and the, interpret the, the painting, but it's not about the natural materials that went into it, right? Because I actually do think that mar marble itself is aesthetically pleasing, but that's a whole other argument. We don't need to harp on that because it's kind of irrelevant, <laughs> I mean, but it's, it important. Is. Yeah. it's important to mention. Yeah. Um, architecture, according to Simmel, does not reflect a complete domination of man over nature. This is key, but rather a quote-unquote balance between the quote, plan conceivable only in the human soul and, quote, the tendency inherent in nature to carry out the plan. It's a unity of form between nature and the spirit of man. Now, this, I think we're getting in the weeds and kind of sweating hairs, but this is the important point he's making in this first section, that the, a building, right, doesn't represent the domination of man over the natural material, as, as an example, a sculpture does, that it is a unity of man and nature. And he uses the example of like, right, the man plans out the building and then nature, the man has to manipulate nature and bring out its natural tendencies, et cetera, in order to carry out the plan. But you can't create a building just by dominating nature altogether. 
uh, this is uh, this is the, the weakest part of the essay, I think. And I don't even know if it's that consequential for what we want to talk about on the ruin. If we were really focused on architecture and its aesthetic, we might be focused there. But I don't know. What do you think? So as somebody that 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 dabbles, I'm no expert, but kind of dabbles in environmental history and um, the social theory, the various social theories that have been attached to even literary theories like romanticism mm-hmm. that are attached to like this very important time period. And he's writing right around then, right? 19... 19- yep. 1911. Um, I mean, there was this aim to kind of, I mean, there were actually romantics that wanted to go all the way back to like this more harmonious relationship with nature Mm -hmm. and use our representative culture to do so in the form of literature or art or architecture. He's arguing for this balance. I guess in my own personal opinion, I'm not sure that there is a possibility of balance in terms of the architecture that they're talking about. I do think that um, anytime humanity has sought to exert its dominance over nature through the building of structures, everything from giant pyramids to modern dams, I, that to me like will always break that balance. I, I mean, I guess I don't know that I'm articulating this as clearly as as I mean to, but I think you kind of infer what I'm saying. I don't mm-hmm. know that there is a possibility to to, to get that balance that Simmel's looking for. Um, merely the existence of these structures, merely the extractive process to make these things, whatever it's made out of, and everything from steel to brick to stone to whatever, merely that act right there is altering other parts of nature that means balance is an impossibility. I guess that's much more clearly what I wanted to say. Mm -hmm. Okay, now let's go on to the significance of ruin itself. He says, quote, this unique balance breaks, however, the instant a building crumbles. For this means nothing else than that merely natural forces begin to become master over the work of man. The balance between nature and spirit, which the building manifested, shifts in favor of nature. So if the building itself represents this balance between man and nature, the ruin, the second that building crumbles or falls or falls into ruin, right, represents the, the that is out of balance, that no longer does that balance exist. And now nature has taken the top position in this specific example. We'll get into more deep depth on that. Yeah, I would agree with that. Obviously, my bias that I just articulated, I I appreciate that nature is reclaiming Mm -hmm. um, the architecture, but that's not necessarily his point. He's arguing that is a break in that balance. So his main point, I actually think that's the most interesting, is that the ruin gives birth to something new. He says, quote, so as long as we can speak of a ruin at all and not of a mere heap of stones, there rises a new form which, from the standpoint of nature, is entirely meaningful, comprehensible, differentiated. Nature has transformed the work of art into material for her own expression, as she had previously served as material for art. Then he has another quote which compares it to painting, etc., which I think is good. He says, the ruin is, quote, a more meaningful, more significant phenomenon than are the fragments of other destroyed works of art. A painting from which particles of paint have fallen off, a statue with mutilated limbs, an ancient text of poetry from which words or lines are lost, all of these have effect only according to what is still left in them of artistic formation, of what the imagination can construe of it from these remnants. Their immediate appearance is no artistic unity. It offers us nothing but a work of art imperfect through the reductions it has undergone. The ruin of a building, however, means that where the work of art is dying, other forces and forms, those of nature, have grown, and that out of what of art still lives in the ruin, and what of nature already lives in it, there has emerged a whole, a new whole, a characteristic unity. 
So it's not just a damaged painting or what's left of a statue, nor is it merely the remnants of a building. The ruin is something altogether new in which nature demonstrates its own agency and which has aesthetic value of its own based on that fact. What do you think about that? This is the best part of his argument, for sure. Mm -hmm. I I agree with this, even though, like I said, I'm not sure we could ever achieve the balance in the construction of of human-made architecture with nature. This part where nature reclaims it and honestly breaks that balance, I think is what he's alluding to. Mm -hmm. But creating something new in its stead I really enjoy this. And he's right. I, I, now that I, I mean, it got me thinking, uh, you know, uh, maybe to a lesser extent, like sculptures, like giant sculptures, if we want to think about like ancient Greek or Roman sculptures or something like that, you can kind of see it a little bit, but yes, like a painting that's fallen into ruin isn't really what it's meant to be. And it doesn't really offer anything new most of the time, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's not, whereas this, this new form of, or not new, this architecture that is being reclaimed and reshaped by the natural world does create something new. I don't know. I mean, it's clearly a material reason for this, but I would agree with this. Um, It does. It gives it a new characteristic, Um, maybe even a new, like, again, way to look at it romantically. We talked Mm -hmm. about ruined porn in the prior episode about how it makes us feel about not just, of course, the past, but where we are in the present and where we're going Mm -hmm. in the future. It situates us within a certain historical context. I think all of those things are true. And I do think this is where I would agree. Architecture offers this uh, and most other forms of art don't. So, Yeah, and I have here, like, thinking of a painting or a sculpture, if you're looking at a damaged painting or one that hasn't been restored, right? You try to imagine it as it was whole or a sculpture that's missing its arms, right? Its limbs or the head or what you try to imagine what it would be like whole. And in fact, we've all probably been in museums where there's a sculpture and you can stand in front of like a piece of plexiglass that shows you what it would look like whole, right? Something like that, right? But his argument is that the ruin, we don't imagine it whole, that it on its own has aesthetically pleasing value because it is an art form of its own in which nature is some somewhat the artist, right? And it provides a different aesthetic, I think, to this new form, the ruin itself. So mm-hmm. he said there's two main forms of significance here that he really, uh, he doesn't pick this out as cleanly as I have, but he says the first is really like this cosmic significance. He says, quote, According to its cosmic order, the hierarchy of nature and spirit usually shows nature as the substructure, so to speak, the raw material or semi-finished product, the spirit as the definitively formed and crowning element. The ruin reverses this order. What was raised by the spirit becomes the object of the same forces which form the contour of the mountain and the mountain and the bank of the river. So he says there's this eternal struggle, essentially, or dialectic between man and nature and their ruin represents this struggle right and so when that's why it has meaning for us that's significant for us when we see it it is a representation of this eternal struggle on like the cosmic scale right thoughts on that one no no i mean i don't know i mean i don't actually have a whole lot of thoughts i i I mean, I guess I could kind of see it like, yeah, I mean, it turns things backwards a little bit. And, it, and like I said, it recontextualize everything mm-hmm. in terms of like the cosmic. I guess I just felt like this was a little bit of a stretch, which is weird for me to say, because I was picking up on what he was laying down in terms of the geist, i.e. the spirit of the mm-hmm. of, of, of the artist within the work. I get that. I don't know. This one felt too stretched for me. I, I, I didn't connect with it at all. And, and, and I guess I guess I'll preview not so much with the meta, metaphysical significance either. But 
So he says the other one is metaphysical significance that is more individual. He says, you know, in addition to representing the cosmic struggle between man and nature, the ruin also reminds us of our internal struggle between nature and ourselves, which takes place. He says, quote, entirely within the human soul, that battlefield between nature, which the soul is itself and spirit, which the soul is itself. So he says basically inherent within each of us is, you know, we are natural beings, but there's also something that exists beyond nature, right? Which is our spirit, our soul, our mind, our consciousness, whatever you want to call it, right? This is his dabble into consciousness that we as individuals are constantly going through this struggle between our minds and our characteristics as nature, right? We are natural beings that possess the metacognition, right? The ability to think of ourselves as natural beings. And he says, in a way, ruins remind us of that as well, this conflict between nature within ourselves. And he calls this, just so you have the term, the metaphysical aesthetic. He says specifically, quote, the metaphysical aesthetic charm of the ruin. Thoughts on that one? Yeah, like I said, I just like same thing with the cosmic. I just feel like it's a stress. I'm not disagreeing with his points that we do. We do obviously, even to this day, have this struggle internally. All humans do between feeling like this natural animalistic, like connected to earth type of thing. And of course, we've argued in past episodes that modern society inside these buildings, inside these offices, looking at screens all day, there is something wholly unnatural about it. And even if we can't identify it, there's something within us, perhaps physiologically that recognizes that. And so we do, we do aspire to go on hikes or maybe, uh, I don't know, climb to the top of a mountain or traverse a desert or dip our feet uh, into a, a freshwater uh, river or in the ocean. Those are types of things that I think are real. So I, I guess I agree with that part that there is this kind of internal conflict between what it means to be a natural human and a human that has been quote unquote, um, uh, subdued by civilization or modernity. That said, I don't know about the connection to the ruin. Even when nature reclaims the ruin and we get to look at it, maybe there's vines growing on it and maybe it's been eroded or wind erosion or water erosion or things along those lines. I guess I personally have never connected those two things. The idea of me, my, my struggle between being my natural human and my civilized human or whatever that means, my modern human, my commodified human, and looking at a ruin, like I've never, like when I look at the ruin, I do think of it as a work of art. I'm happy that nature is reclaiming it, but I've never made the connection to like my own struggle, I guess. Well, I think his argument really is that the ruin forces us to abandon our alienation, or at least it represents that, right? Because it represents the natural kernel within us that isn't the commodified human. It isn't the spectacle. It isn't, you know, all the things that we've become. It is some somehow related and reminds us of what it is to be a natural human being, you know? Fair enough. Um, then the last important point I have here is maintaining tension because most of the scholarship around ruin, at least the really rudimentary stuff, you know, interprets the ruin as a symbol of the end of an era. And most people point to like Rome as this, which by mm -hmm. the way, if you're interested, Simmel has an essay on Rome specifically. I think he has one on Rome, Venice, and one other city that I can't remember right now, but the, I've read the run on Rome and it's, it's very interesting. And it goes down this path a lot further talking about history and time and et cetera. But anyways, most of the rudimentary scholarship is about how the ruin represents the end of an era. But Simmel seems to suggest that the real importance of the ruin is that it maintains tension. 
that it neither represents the end nor the beginning of something really, but it is the embodiment of eternal tension. And remember, he's focused on interaction and process, right? That things are never static. A ruin doesn't represent the end nor the beginning because the ruin represents the process, right? A ruin is the representation of the interaction, the never-ending process between man and nature. And so he argues that's one of the main, you know, reasons that ruins have meaning for us and have an aesthetic value is because they remind us of that never-ending tension and process. Thoughts on that one? Agreed. I, I agree. That, I mean, those are my thoughts. I agree. I like what he has to say here. Then there's really three reasons that uh, ruins can cease to have that same meaning. And this is what we touched on last time that I think led us to wanting to do this as a complete episode. And the first one is if they are caused by man. So he says, when we notice in them the quote unquote destruction of man, and he calls this man's positive action. So if man causes the ruin, then very clearly it doesn't have the same meaning as representing nature's reclaiming the dominance over man and so forth, right? So that one's kind of obvious. Number two, when man decides to quote unquote, let it decay is Simmel's term. This represents a quote, positive passivity, whereby man makes himself the accomplice of nature. So for this one, Simmel doesn't think that ruins have the same meaning for us either. So if a building you know, falls into disrepair and man just lets that happen without being forced to, then it doesn't have the same meaning. But it's because, again, it's not the same dominance of nature over the efforts of man. That, that I mean, I don't necessarily personally disagree with it, but our last work on ruined pornography kind of does when it talks mm-hmm. about like using Detroit, right? Detroit is kind of like the symbol of what that looks like. Arguably, man in general, all of us have let that decay and yet there's still kind of this weird fascination with it. I guess the fascination is perhaps not the spiritual um, or metaphysical mm-hmm. cosmic that symbols looking for, but there is this kind of fascination with it. And I would argue that people are making some very similar connections when they look at it or else it wouldn't be um, so popular, right? These photographs. Although we could argue that we are forced to let it decay because of the capitalist hegemony, right? Mm, true. Like we have no power to reclaim those buildings and rebuild them. But like we talked about in that episode, when it becomes financially attractive to do so, Detroit's going through a resurgence right now because of that, right? Like all these ruins are being turned into like hipster housing and like all of this stuff. But we were powerless until it became economically incentivized for us to do it, right? I don't know. There could be a whole paper written on that probably. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess I was thinking more of the material conditions than the ideal ones. But yes, in this case, our capitalist belief system and the hegemony would 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 render, of course, Detroit at that point in time or certain neighborhoods in Detroit um, not necessary for the market to continue, right? Not, mm-hmm. they, yes, they, they, they did not um, outcompete. So for sure. And the third point the, where ruins become uh, not similarly meaningful for Simmel is when they are inhabited. And he has a quote on this one. He says, quote, the inhabited ruin loses for us the sensuous, super sensuous balance of the conflicting tendencies of existence, which we see in the abandoned one. This balance indeed gives it its problematic, unsettling, often unbearable character. Such places sinking from life still strike us as a settings, as settings of a life. So he's saying rumens that are inhabited don't have the same meaning because they actually serve a function, right? Life still exists there. And it, it, rather than being somewhat pleasing, actually makes us uncomfortable. He says it's problematic because we don't really know how to register this representation of this 
natural thing that is being reclaimed by nature and sort of man's inability to accept that, right? Still trying to sort of eke out a living within this structure. That's interesting to think about. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, my thoughts again are, are pretty simple. I definitely agree with it. Like there's going to be less of that connection when we're trying to kind of persevere and use it. And nature doesn't, I would argue at that point, this is where we see that struggle between man and nature mm -hmm. um, in how we perceive it. If man is still trying to live within these ruins, right? And they're not, then, then they're not going to be able to be completely reclaimed by nature mm -hmm. in and of itself and become something new. And again, that goes back into the argument of is man part of nature or as man above nature. And these were the debates they were definitely having in the early 20th century. And that moved to, again, back to romanticism. So definitely yeah. I can see his point here writing within the context of 1911, right? Where in his brain, man has somewhat removed himself from nature. So continuing to live in something nature's trying to reclaim, um, renders it less, um, well, meaningful in terms of what he was talking about earlier, cosmic, mm -hmm. metaphysical, cosmic and metaphysical significance. I mean, I guess it still has meaning. It's just different meaning, right? It's not the same meaning that a ruin has, I suppose. Right. So we talked about last time in the last episode, which has led us here, right? The ruins after World War II or even World War I we discussed, right? So according to Simmel's like categorization here, right? They were caused by man clearly. So they don't represent nature's power over man. And they were temporary, right? Not only were people still living in them when they could, but they quickly set out to remove and re or rebuild, right, the ruins. So they never really were a symbol of nature's reclamation of its position at the top of this, you know, quote unquote, cosmic hierarchy. They didn't represent the tension between man and nature. They represented the tension between men, right? Man and man, I suppose. Any thoughts there? None. I think that's it. Uh, really interesting essay, and it's fairly short. If you're interested, read it. We'll link it in the description. Um, but yeah, that's George Simmel's The Ruin. Uh, if you enjoyed that episode, please consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash revolution and ideology. Thank you, thank you, thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. I am Nick. I'm Jared. Later. <laughs>